Hey guys, uh, good morning. Good to see you here today. Listen, we've got some more um, weird songs and strange prayers for you. The Bible is loaded with these. These, these. these cries and laments and prayers and songs of the people of God, and many of them are just downright weird and strange. And you're never going to find that more than in the Psalms. And I'm going to share with you momentarily here today one of my favorite psalms of all time. And it's called a psalm of salvation. Now, I say salvation, and in this kind of context, my bet is your mind runs to something like this. Well, Jesus died for my sins so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. And man, that's good, and that's important, and that's central, but that's not what these psalms are about. Salvation can mean a lot of things, can it? To save. You can save money in the bank. You can save a dock on your hard drive. You can save your leftovers for tomorrow, right? I want to take you into another way of thinking about save. And I want to read you some lyrics here, okay? I want to read you some lyrics. Here they go. Let me lay them on you. Some people stand in the darkness, afraid afraid to step into the light. Some people need to have somebody with the edge of surrender in sight. Don't you worry. It's going to be all right. Because I'm always ready. I won't let you out of my sight. I'll be there. I'll be ready. Never you fear. Now don't you fear. I'll be there forever and always. I'm always here. It's an incredible prayer, isn't it? Cry of hope. Let me show you what I just read. Hit the lights.
You never knew God looked so hot, did you? And I'll tell you, I mean, it, it has been like, okay, first of all, do you believe that that show was on for 11 years? Um, worldwide phenomena. I mean, God bless you, David Hasselhoff, right? And, and I'll tell you, I mean, it, it has been a long time since I've seen it, but going back and, and watching that trailer again, I forgot. Did you see that older gentleman who played Lieutenant Ben Edwards in the end? I forgot how smoking hot that guy was. Oh my gosh, and in a bathing suit, right? Man, here it is. Here it is. Let me read it again. Some people stand in the darkness, afraid to step into the light. Some people need to have somebody with the edge of surrender in sight. Don't you worry. It's going to be all right. Because I'm always ready. I won't let you out of my sight. I'll be there. I'll be ready. Never your fear. Now don't you fear. I'll be there forever and always. I'm always here. Welcome. To the Psalms of Salvation. Welcome to Psalm 91. Because if you can wrap your mind around that, you have got the spirit of what these weird songs and strange prayers called the Psalms of Salvation are all about. And I want to show you one here today. I want to show you 91 in detail and show you what it's all about. So if you would uh, pull out a Bible could find them under your chair and go to Psalm 91 for me. Growing up, this was one of my favorite psalms, prayers of all time. Because I mean, I think as you read this, you're going to see it is filled with power. It is filled with strength. It is filled with this sense that I am untouchable. Like I am, I am someone that, that will rise above all. I don't care how many God throw, I don't care how many get thrown my way victory, right? It's like 80s action hero psalm, all right? Psalm 91. And as we go, I'll break this up for a little bit for you as well. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Imagine this, God standing there looming and large and big and strong, casting a shadow. And there I am, in his shadow, right? In his reach, in his circle of protection. Because you don't mess with someone, right? When they stand in the shadow of a giant looking to protect them. You following it? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. How does the psalm open? God, you're my refuge. And what's a refuge? It's a safe place. You're my safe place, God. I'm safe when I'm with you. God, you're my fortress. What's a fortress? It's something that protects me. It's something that can't be beaten. God, I trust you because you are my safe place, You are my protection, you are my refuge, you are my fortress. And what the next section or stanza of this psalm goes on to do is talk about all the reasons why. All the reasons I can trust in God because of all the ways he's going to save me. 
Now, I encourage you as you read this to not just read it is something for someone back then, but make it come alive for yourself today. Substitute your name in place of the he's and him's. When it's not referring to God, but who he's going to save. Surely, God will save you, right? God will save me. Make it that way. God will save me from the fowler's snare. And from the deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. Check it out. It will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes. You only see this and see the punishment of the wicked. What's God going to save you from? What does it talk about? What's the image it uses? From the fowler's snare, from traps, from the deadly pestilence, from disease. From the arrow that flies by day and a thousand falling at my right side. From from enemies and violence and those looking to overpower me. It's this incredible psalm of confidence and trust that when I am with God, I am not only safe, I am rescued. I am saved. That God is like a lifeguard. That God is like Baywatch. That when I find myself in the midst of trap, deception, disease, violence, overwhelming forces, overwhelming odds, right? That I'm in the shadow. And he's got my back. And he will save me. I'll be ready. Never you fear I'll be ready forever I'm here. Are you with me in this? It's a song of salvation. Now what goes on? In verse 9, he kind of moves into the idea, the next stanza, for whom does this incredible promise and hope extend? And he says this, if you, if you make the most high your dwelling, If you seek him in this way, if you trust him in this way, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. Why? Because God's going to command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in, your ha- in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon lions and cobras. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And he wraps it up with this proclamation of hope. God's got my back. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me. I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. 
I will deliver you and honor you. With long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. I'm going to tell you, you read something like that, and you're just like, I'm invincible. Right? He'll save you from disease. He'll save you from violence. He'll save you from whatever the world can throw your way. You stand in his shadow. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He's watching out for you forever and always. I'm always here. These are the cries, the weird songs and the strange prayers that make up these incredible psalms dealing with God saving me. And it's awesome, isn't it? But you know what the difficulty with it is? Like, what do you do when it just isn't true? I mean, it's, it's phenomenal on paper. And it fills you with this kind of, mm, but what do you do when disaster is near your tent? When you are in the fowler's snare? When the thousand falling at your side includes you. It is an incredible song, but do you just have this issue inside this moment of going, this doesn't really feel like it's actually true? You'll see this in the Bible a lot. And there's this Old Testament author, scholar, thinker that I like. His name is John Golden Gay. And and he'll talk about it this way. How the Bible will often present you with two sets of facts. Take Psalm 91. One set of facts would say this. God's got you. And it seems to be no matter what, doesn't it? I'm not seeing a lot of if-then going on. It seems to be this carte blanche, matter-of-fact, blanket statement. Here is one set of facts. God's going to save you. He's going to save you from disease. He's going to save you from hardship. And we can go through the list again. But then there's this other set of facts that just won't go away. Our reality. Our experience, the perception of what's actually happening around us that seems to go, that set of facts over there just doesn't feel true. And it leads you to this place. What do you, what, what do, you do? What do you? What do you do with a prayer like that that just doesn't seem to be true? What do you do when the two sets of facts come colliding at each other, leaving you in their wake. You see this tension throughout the Bible. See, the writers of these songs, they weren't naive. They weren't, they weren't unaware of this. They weren't just sticking their head in their sands. They, they knew it full well, maybe even better than us. It's fascinating that even within this weird song itself, you kind of see this tension at play. 
At one hand, you have, if you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will befall you. It won't even come near you, right? Won't even come near you. But it turns right around and kind of seems to imply that I'm in the terror of night. A thousand are falling at my side. I'm in trouble, otherwise how is he with me, right? It seems that one side of it says it won't touch me, and the other side of it says you are going to be neck deep, drowning in the middle of it, wondering if you're going to be saved. You see this with entire books of the Bible. There's this one set of book called, uh, one set, one book called Proverbs in the Old Testament. Have you ever like read this, checked this out a little bit? You know, if you've read anything in the Old Testament, it's probably Psalms and then Proverbs. It's this collection of, of wisdom sayings, maxims, truisms to life that seems to give this sense that if I live my life by this, everything's going to kind of work out okay. But you know, right now, there's a, a study that we're offering here at FOF on a, on a little forgotten book of the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. And it kind of like stares in the face of what Proverbs says over there. Ecclesiastes goes like this. You can do everything right. And in the end, you're going to die just like the fool. It doesn't seem to make any bit of difference. What do you do when two facts collide? I think of the Psalms themselves. What were we talking about last week? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet this week... No harm will befall you? What do you do with a psalm like this? It's, a, it's kind of fascinating to me that Jesus was actually tempted with this psalm. Um, that sounds kind of weird, right? To be tempted with the Bible, but... There's this, this incident, this story, you could read about it in the Gospels, where the devil actually takes the words of this very psalm to try and tempt Jesus. Here's how it goes. Jesus has just come on the scene as an adult in a public kind of way. And he comes down to the Jordan River, and there's a prophet there named John. And he comes to be baptized by John in this river. But something amazing happens. The story goes that the heavens are literally like kind of ripped open, right? You look up in the sky, and it's like, oh my gosh. They rip open. God comes down in physical form, and the voice starts booming. You are my son, it says, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then it says this to everyone listening on. Listen to him. I mean, it it just really doesn't get much better than that, does it? I mean, talk about an endorsement for your ministry. Immediately afterwards... It says that God, the Holy Spirit, takes Jesus and hurls him. Hurls him out into the desert. Because mountaintop experiences are often followed by 
valleys, aren't they? Hurls him out into the desert to go head to head with the devil and be assaulted by him for 40 days. You can read about this in Matthew 4, Luke 4. It's basically the same story. It says 40 days Jesus went and he didn't eat. I can't go 40 minutes. And in the most understated passage in the Bible, it says, and afterwards, he was hungry. Really? Thanks for that one. And it says the devil comes to him. Because he has a way, doesn't he, of coming to us when our guard's down, when we're at our weakest. If only he would come when we're strong. He doesn't play that way. He fights dirty. And he comes when he's at his weakest. He goes, Jesus, if you're the son of God, You know who you are. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread, man. Eat something. You got the power. You got the ability. You can do it. To which I've always kind of stepped back and looked at them and gone like, right on. You know, what's the big deal? Yeah, turn the stones into bread. Get something to eat. But Jesus won't do it. He won't do it. He kind of comes back and goes, oh, man, man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives on every word of the mouth of God, to which I go, like, that's cool, but you need bread too. But he won't do it. Somehow and in some way, though he is able, he postures himself to live in complete dependence on God. Weird. Devil comes back again. And this time it says he takes him to a high place. The temple in Jerusalem, actually. Takes him up to like one of the minarets, you know, one of the high points. And look at what the devil has to say. If you are the son of God, jump. Show people who you are. Jump, throw yourself down. Put on the display. Because it's written, and do you recognize the quote? He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Let me read Psalm 91, verse 11 to you. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. God promised. He he promised, didn't he? He'll command his angels concerning you. He'll protect you. You won't strike your foot against a stone, so do it. You've got God on your side. You've got his promise on your back. You are set. You are invincible. Because Psalm 91 is true. So it's just like blow when the devil knows the Bible better than you. What do you do when you stare into a set of facts like that's Jesus wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. 
He said, you know, it also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to put myself or more so put God into a place like that. He wouldn't do it. And it always kind of made me wonder, what would have actually happened if he chose to? Here's the question I ask, though. With Jesus, was Psalm 91 true? Now, there were certainly times through the course of his ministry that it seemed that God had delivered him, saved him, because the time wasn't right or whatever. But fundamentally, when you look at his life, beginning to end, for Jesus, was it true? Because I see someone whose mission brought him to suffering and death, who wasn't saved from the fowler's snare, who did have disaster come near his tent, who wasn't spared from harm. What do we do with that? When it doesn't come true. Because sometimes it doesn't seem like it comes true for us, does it? And sometimes it seemed like it certainly wasn't true for Israel. Was it? And it seems that at times it wasn't true for Jesus as well. So why do you sing it to begin with? Suddenly it's like this, this fantastic song filled with invincibility. Suddenly it's like it starts to feel like a bit of an empty shell doesn't it? And it begs the question, then why pray it? Why sing it? Why believe it? As it invites us to. I want to show you another clip here today. It's, it's a bit dated now comes from 95, but for me, it's still one of my favorite movies of all time, and still stands as maybe one of the most powerful movie scenes I've ever seen, to situate you in what you're about to see. It revolves around a Scottish freedom fighter named William Wallace, who has been captured in the Fowler's snare. He's betrayed, captured, imprisoned, and let out to be tortured unless, unless he begs for mercy from the English king. Unless he recants, you know? Unless he turns and switches his loyalty. And where we pick up in the movie, 
is at the end of his life where they're torturing him, trying to break him, trying to get him to seek the king's mercy. They're about to draw him. A torture practice that even went into the dawn of colonial days. Taking a dull metal implement opening your gut, pulling out your intestines while you watch on in horror. Hit the lights. Take a look.
it was one word. Freedom. And what an absolutely foolish thing to say. Every fact stood contrary. Was he free? He was tied down. Victimized. Brutalized. And lost in the end. That's not freedom. What a foolish thing to say. And yet even as I say that, doesn't it seem like I'm deeply violating something? Something deeper and stronger surrounding freedom? than the case I've just made. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. You will not fear the terror of night. A thousand may fall at your side. No harm will befall you. He will command his angels concerning you. I will protect him. I will answer him. When did people sing a song like this? It was not in their classrooms and churches. Safe from harm's way speculating on the philosophy of it all, contemplating abstract truths of good and evil and pain and suffering. No, when did they sing it? When they were in the midst of it. When they were neck deep and strapped down, trapped and victimized. And brutalized. Psalm 91 is a song that you sing when you are being eviscerated because it's a song of hope. It's a strong of strength. It's a strong it's a song of defiance. It is a song and prayer that says, whatever I endure, no matter how long I drown, whatever comes my way, that ultimately, fundamentally, you are a God who saves. Because what they knew is that even though God doesn't always save. It doesn't mean God won't in the future. God may not save me now. But they knew God certainly will. And he invites us to trust the same.
Welcome to Psalm 91. A prayer, a cry, a song of those who find themselves going down in need of help from him from above. We're going to sing a song as we close today. Band's going to come forward and let me share some of these opening lyrics with you here today. I will sing a song of hope. God of heaven, come down. Heaven, come down. Just to know that you are near is enough. God of heaven, come down. Come down. It's a song of salvation. So I invite you to rise. I invite you to pray with me and make it your song today. God in heaven, we come. Your word says, he who dwells in you, in the shelter of the Most High, in the refuge and shadow of the Almighty, can say, God is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Forgive us, God, for the times we take every ounce of your salvation for granted, the ways you deliver us day by day without even realizing. Here our prayer of gratitude today. And give us eyes to see that you are the God who is here. Forgive us, God, in those times when we are drowning crying out to be saved. And you don't seem to appear, at least not in our time. Forgive us in those times, God, when we lose heart, lose faith. Those times when we turn from you, reject you, or spit in your face. May we as a people be marked as a people who put their hope in you. Lord, save.